Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. Today's message comes from community engagement pastor, Chad Johnson. Well, listen, guys, uh, we are in the middle of a series where we are going through the letter of the book of James, right? And the title is Living Out Loud. Uh, Rufus told me to do that. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I am your, I like to joke, I'm your resident uh, obnoxious pastor, so forgive me from time to time. But if I'm honest, I was certainly far more obnoxious when I was in youth ministry back in the day than I am now. For those of you guys who don't know, I served in the youth ministry for about eight years or so, and we would often take kids to camps or conferences, right? And so we would uh, usually have in these conference rooms around you know, several hundred junior high kids or several hundred senior high kids, and some of you guys just said, hey, that's obnoxious enough. I get it, you're good. But there's more, I promise, right? So we had volunteers with us as well. And in this particular case, they're away from home, they're with their friends, they're jacked up on sugar, caffeine, and freedom. You get the picture? Okay. So it was almost inevitable that at these conferences, one group would wanna say, hey, can we be more loud and crazy than the other group? And so some group on this side would start a chant and they would see if they can be louder or crazier than that group on that side. And one of the chants that I'm very familiar with that we hear often in the youth ministry area is if you love Jesus, all right? I don't know if they still do this, but what would happen is someone would say, if you love Jesus, and they'd repeat over here. So just so you can see how obnoxious this can be, I wanna participate with you guys. And so just repeat after me, are you ready? If you love Jesus, Jesus, clap your hands. No, 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 don't don't clap your hands, like repeat after me. But what would happen is at the end of that chant, we would then say, na, 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 and then we go, ha, sock it to the devil, yeah. If you weren't a Christian man, you'd be like, these guys are crazy. What's going on in here? Now, as fun as that might be and as, as obnoxious as that might be, uh, that's not the kind of living out loud that James is talking about in this letter. As we've already previously uh, mentioned, James is a letter that's written to a church that's been dispersed, that's been persecuted, and they're all over the country, or, or the countries in the lands, right? They're going into different homes. And James is believed to be the leader of the church at large. So this is their leader sending a letter to them, reminding them, hey, continue to be Jesus wherever you go. You see, in this particular case, because it was still early in the, in the church history, uh, wherever they're going, they have yet to hear about Christ or what Christians are. So it was extremely practical for James to say, hey, I need you guys to continue to speak like Jesus, live like Jesus, do like Jesus, wherever you go, because that's the message that this new, this new community needs to see, right? So it was extremely practical, but it's also practical for us today Because every weekend that we come together to worship, right, to encourage one another, to equip one another, as we scatter into our communities, thankfully not in persecution, but as we go out, when we encounter somebody, when we come across somebody, we need practical advice of how to live like Jesus so that they see the message in us clear of who Jesus is, right? That they know what we believe by our actions. And so Pastor Eli covered last week uh, faith and works it was an amazing sermon. If you didn't get to see that, you can go to our YouTube page and check out any of our past sermons, but that one's phenomenal if you wanna catch up. So faith in works, I would say faith in action, right? And today we're gonna to look at words and action. In the following weeks, we're gonna cover taming the tongue, and God knows I'll be sitting right here listening and taking notes, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight, or today, excuse me. 
Throughout the book of James, there's a thread of, of, of wisdom that's talking about us matching our actions and our words with our belief. We can see this in James 2, 12 through 13. It says, so whatever you say, your words, or whatever you do, your actions, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So, whatever you say, or whatever you do, show mercy over judgment. So that's our title for this week, Speak Up, Mercy Over Judgment. It's also our kind of first sentence or question, how to speak mercy over speaking judgment as God's people. So speaking up, easier said than done, right? You don't have to look long into the world to realize that the Christian faith is getting more and more unpopular. In fact, when I look out in the world, what seems to be the message is those that live outside of Christ, those that live in the world, they don't like us, us believers. And the message to them is we don't like them either. But that's a false message. The word that I read says we love them. In fact, we love our enemies. But I don't know if I've really done a good job as a Christian communicating the love of Christ all too well to those that think that we don't like them. Now I have to correct that perception as a believer of who we are for the world. Because if I believe in Jesus and what he says about me and about you, there is nothing, I mean nothing, that can change the value that is placed in you because you are created by him. I mean we may disagree in lifestyles and life choices, but at the end of the day my God still tells me I made them. Go remind them their value once more. But the Christian culture is quiet, right? myself included at times. Or if they're not quiet, they're arguing and fighting about petty things, sometimes with each other, but often with the world as well. This isn't a new thing though, guys. It's not just a new cultural thing. This has been happening since the beginning. In James 4, 11 through 12, it says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you or not. God alone who gave the law, he is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Hmm. Pretty straightforward, right? Don't judge anyone when we have been given the law of the gospel, one that leads to freedom in Christ, not one that leads to more judgment. That's God's job, right? I know people who will still use this verse to say, hey, I'm not speaking up because if I speak up, that means I'm judging them. I don't wanna go against that verse. Now let me make something particularly clear, and it's very practical as well. Speaking up is not judging others. We live in a world, for some reason, when we're in disagreement, it means that you're judging them. That's just not the case. See, this verse doesn't say don't say anything or don't speak up. It says don't speak evil or speak against. Because if I speak up in disagreement, I can be speaking for your benefit, not against. I can speak up to enlighten. I can speak up to make aware. I can speak up just to share my own experiences and how it led me into places that wasn't good. But nonetheless, people think that speaking up is judging and we remain silent. Uh, you, some of you guys may know this, I'm a, I'm a musical fan. There's this little bitty musical show that has gone around for many years now called Hamilton. Y'all know that show? And so oftentimes, um, I think that Christians have adopted the same philosophy of the character in there, Aaron Burr, in a song that he sings. And it goes something like this. Talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Am I talking to somebody out there? Guys, we do not believe in an empty smile gospel. 
We believe in a gospel that intentionally goes out into the darkness and brings life into people and pulls them out of it when we speak up. All right, there's an easier song that most of you guys will know, and uh, it, you, it's not too complicated, so it kind of goes something a little like this. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Yeah, everybody knows that. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All right, well my version also says, hide it under a bush. No, we don't, we don't hide our light under a bush. Even kids, we know that, right? But sometimes I wonder if we would rather a dimmer switch on that light, because you know, we're not ashamed of the light, we just don't want it to be shining so bright in some, in, in some people's lives or in some people's places. But that dimmer switch would certainly fit our life a little bit better, wouldn't it? Right? At church, at church, we got that bad boy maxed out. Everybody can see how bright our light is. But at work or at school, and let's put that about halfway. That's a cozy light, that feels pretty good, right? Am I talking to somebody again? Or is it just me? But of course, at the very end of that dimmer, there's that one phase right before the light goes out. That's a really nice spot for my friends who I really don't want to offend. Hmm. I don't know about you, but when I go to my house and I turn the light on, never once have I thought, man, I hope I don't offend the darkness in here. No, I turn the light on to move the darkness out of the way. I turn the light on so I can see what's really there. So when we speak up in the lives of people around us, we get to show them the same thing. Hey, what's really in your life? What's really going on? What could harm us even more than what we already thought? And I'll tell you this, if I go to my house and I turn the light on and there's some hovering ball of darkness just sitting in the room, I'm not like, oh hey, I hope it didn't offend you. You can stay. No, I'm hightailing out of that house, man. Something creepy's going on. I'm gonna be freaking out. But here's the thing, guys, light naturally offends the darkness. We can't control that. In all seriousness, there is no dimmer on the light which Christ gives us. Sin might war within us, but Christ is always in his light reaching into the darkness of our lives and bringing life out. When we speak up and live out loud, we follow his example in always reaching out into this world. So what are our challenges of speaking up? Right? What are the things that we tell us ourselves so we can stay silent? Well, I've got three that I'm gonna unpack, and as Pastor Rufus likes to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go take my seat afterwards. Challenge one, motivation. What's your motive? Challenge two, what are you equipped with? Challenge three, what's your integrity? So let's go to challenge one. What is your motivation? What's your desire? Read this with me. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Or you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you, <coughs> excuse me, ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's in James 4, one through three. You see, the intentions of their hearts wasn't to, to seek out other person's desires, it was to seek out their own desire and definitely not the desires of God's righteousness. So this was among Jesus' followers as well. Remember, this is letter, letters to the church. So this is how they were treating each other as brothers and sisters in the faith. And if they did that within the family, how are they gonna treat those outside of the family? You see, when we confront others in our disagreement, we need to first consider our motivation or desires. Right, if my motivation is to put them in their place, to let them know that I'm right and they're wrong, I might need to hold my tongue first. Right? Nothing I do can argue them into the faith. That's God's job to redeem people. It's my job to speak up and share his love and mercy. Amen? 
So me being right is not always me being righteous in God's eyes. A simple way to think through this is this. If you're planning on speaking to somebody that you may disagree with, particularly as it's related to faith, ask these three questions. Is it good for me? Is it good for them? Does it bring them any closer to Jesus? See, when we ask, is it good for me, we begin to question our own selfish desires. Why do I wanna tell them this? Is it because they're bugging me? Is it because I want them to know that I'm right and they're wrong? What's my selfish desire in wanting to speak up? Is it, is it good for them? Do I have their best interests in mind and not my own, not just my own? Or does it move them any closer to Jesus? You see, if I wanna tell them something that does not portray his desire for them, maybe it's me talking and not Jesus. So I believe God wants us to speak up in a way that moves people closer to Jesus, not away from him. That's mercy in our words and not judgment. So we respond to this first challenge by bringing peace over quarreling. By asking these questions for perspective, we get to bring peace and not more quarreling. Because with the right perspective, I can get my personal desires and motivations out of the way and be a conduit, an avenue, in which God continues to use to speak grace and mercy and compassion into those around me. I wanna introduce you to Reggie Howard. He's a hope friend of ours. And in this clip, he shares a brief part of his story, but I want you to also pay attention to those who spoke up in his life. His mother and her words and his buddy and his. Watch this. Well, I'm from Memphis, a uh, guy that grew up here, uh, played football, high school ball here in Memphis, walked on uh, at the University of Memphis. And so uh, that second year I was at Memphis doing my senior year, I started to get a lot of buzz. Uh, I remember sitting down with Rip Shear, and he was like, well, man, right now, uh, they got you ranked as one of the top 10 corners in the country, and uh, you shouldn't get drafted no, no lower than the third round. While I was making the tackle, man, I actually uh, uh, broke my neck on that tackle. And I just remember uh, with tears going down my eyes, just praying to God, say, hey man, if you give me another shot at this thing, I'll use football to do something bigger than football. That always stuck to me because that was kind of a key moment for me. Went with the Carolina Panthers as a free agent. Now you're talking about a guy that was supposed to be drafted no later in the third round, and now ain't nobody called until the end to bring me in as free agent, where I had to choose where I wanted to go. Being in Carolina, I was frustrated because I wasn't used to not playing. And um, my mom just kept saying, be patient. Just be patient. God is giving you time to heal properly. And all I could think about was my mind was so focused on getting back the money I lost. That, that was my drive, right? My drive was to get back what I lost. I won a starting job, uh, played for the Carolina Panthers, and we eventually went on to the Super Bowl. And then I, I picked off Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, and uh, we almost won that game. To this day, man, I remember having my, my ring, I threw it in the back of the closet because it just felt so bad because got so close to winning it. Got a big contract to go to Miami, got to Miami, had the money, had everything I thought I always wanted, and it was the darkest time of my life because I had finally chased the money and finally got to it only to realize it was empty. And so after that first year, um, man, I was kind of just lost because I didn't want to play football no more. And I felt like all I was doing was playing for the money. And I remember talking to one of my buddies. Uh, he was one of my spiritual accountability buddies. And he told me, man, you got to pray. You got to figure out what your purpose in life is. Once I left playing football, man, I just started doing a lot of nonprofit and charitable work in the city of Memphis and started working with this program we was doing the Phenomenal Four. And we basically had this commitment that every year we would come together to do this big camp 
and do programs related to doing community service here in the local community in Memphis. I guess this was like the next chapter of me finally starting to figure out my, my real calling. I'm at a position where in the past, I would have took the money situation because I thought that's what it was all about. But now it's put me in a position where now I can't be corrupted because you can't pull me away from certain things by luring me or trying to throw more money at me. And so I'm just staying focused with the purpose and trying to help impact as many lives as possible. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Did y'all hear the words of his mother when he was frustrated and down and out? His mother could have said, suck it up, Nancy. You're in the NFL. It's tough now. This is the real world. Work harder. Now, now, whether or not the mom knew this or not, but she actually paused and she recognized what was better for him and what would move him closer to Christ. Be patient, baby. Maybe God has given you time to heal. Or his buddy, right? He has, he's, learned, he's earned the contract, he's got all this money, but he still feels empty. And his buddy could have said, hey man, you got all this money, go take a trip, go have fun, go blow it on some fun things, it'll make you feel better for a little while. He didn't say that either. No, his, his buddy recognized Reggie's best interests and what would move him closer to Christ. Hey man, you gotta pray. You gotta find your purpose, man, what God's doing in your life. See, it helped him find a life outside of what he was wrestling with. In fact, it helped him find a life now to speak up wherever he goes and whatever camp and, and, and event that he's hosting. Is it good for me? Is it good for them? Does it move them closer to Jesus? Check your desire and the conversations you have so that it brings about Christ in the best light and, not, and, 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 and hope for the other person at least. Challenge two. Are you equipped? I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people and they're like, Chad, I love what you're saying, I, I, I get it, but I don't know the Bible like you do. I don't, I don't have the confidence to have a conversation about someone's life in Christ. I don't know enough. First off, you don't need to have a degree or any intensive training to share God's love and his truth. I mean, it certainly helps, but you simply just need to start with loving others. Let, them, let that love drive you to get to know them and their story and, and why they are the way they are and what's their, what their life is all about. To be clear, I'm not talking just about disagreements we have with Christians. I'm talking about those people far from what we believe in. Those, things that, those people that don't look anything like us. You see, unconditional, authentic love is a powerful start that pulls others into asking, why do you love this way? That's equally a powerful conversation and you can share that story. Second, be in God's word as much as possible. Now take note, I didn't say, hey, read an hour a day or read a book of the Bible every month or even read through the Bible in a year. Those will certainly bear lots of fruit in your life if you're doing it for the right reason. They're great aspirations and they bear great fruit. But God has made his word effective to reach those he is calling, even the little bit that we encounter. God has preserved the word over thousands of years to continue to give life into us. He's given us a tool that we can use. So whatever little bit of word that you're experiencing or that you've read, find a way to share it. It's not just for us. We get to use that word for others as well. I don't know how many times like my schedule has just been packed. I look up and I haven't spent any time with God. I don't, I don't know if I've prayed. I mean, I know it exists. I just hadn't had the time to do it. And so I'll just read one verse or something, just like one or two sentences. And more and more often, God places people in front of me that needed to hear that verse that I read that day. 
I didn't spend a whole time reading the Bible. It was just that one verse. It's like God kind of said, hey, here's some leftovers of what I'm trying to teach you. Can you give it to somebody? Here's some bread to go feed the ducks at the pond. You know, it might not be able to feed the whole pond, but it can feed a few ducks that you might pass. Give them some of that truth as well. So use whatever little bit you have because it can and will make a difference for someone else as well. Listen to James 3, 16, 17. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Purity, peace, gentleness, mercy, sincerity, all of this flows from the wisdom above. You know where we find that? I know it's a silly Sunday school answer, but it's true, the Bible. It's that simple, guys. And we need to continue to equip ourselves with what God has given us in that to share it. So do you have bread that has been beneficial for you that you can share with someone that's passing by? Do you have a word from God that has blessed you that you can give to someone that needs to hear it? See, we assume since we're preaching through the book of James that you guys are at least reading through that. Please do. A lot of this would make way more sense when you see all the pieces connect. But if you're not, at least try to read a proverb from time to time. There are over 50 verses in Proverbs regarding the words we speak and the words of God in our lives. You can't read one chapter in Proverbs without God sharing with you that our words matter. Here's just one. In Proverbs 18.4, it says, a person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook, as a nice cold water on a hot Memphis day. So we respond to the second challenge by being equipped with godly wisdom, biblical wisdom over selfishness, over our own words. Let's not just share what we think, but what God's word has equipped us to share. So lastly, challenge three, what is your integrity? I think this one hits a little close to home for me, if I'm being honest. You know, I know what I ought to do, but I don't always do it. I kind of follow a philosophy that my parents followed. Hey, do as I say, not as I do. You ever said that one before? See, oftentimes we don't speak up because we don't feel like we're good enough to speak up. We think we have to be perfect or else be considered a hypocrite. Now let's, let's really look at this. If that statement were true, if we had to be perfect before we can speak up, nobody could say anything, right? We'd be continually being silent because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. I don't know one person currently that is perfect, but I do, do know who has been perfect for us. Like I love the verse in John 1:14. It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, Jesus Christ, full of grace and, and truth. So everything we know of God's word became flesh. It became Christ. Jesus is our scriptures with breath filled in his lungs and equipped with hands and feet in perfection. It is God's word in action to perfection. And it was full of grace and truth, which means he takes that grace and truth and he fills our imperfections so we can present his truth, not because we're perfect. So that becomes our joy, that becomes our hope, that becomes our strength, not our perfection our freedom to be loved by him in spite of our imperfections. That's the message we share. I've shared this story before, and it's fitting for here as well. Uh, I was talking to a, uh, an individual who's not a Jesus follower, and they knew that I was, and 
they straight up told me, hey, I don't like Christians. And I was trying to determine, are you telling me indirectly you don't like me? I'm trying to figure this out here. Because you can just tell me that. Um, but no, for real. I said, well, why, why don't you like Christians? He goes, well, all that I have met, they act like they know everything, that they're, they're uh, perfect, and that they're so good compared to everybody else. That's his emphasis, not mine. And I looked at him, and I kind of chuckled, and he couldn't tell if I was being a jerk, or, and I wasn't. I was just surprised that that's his message that he got. So he asked me, why are you laughing? I said, oh, that's not the Jesus I believe in. He kind of looked at me. I said, I believe in Jesus. I need him because I'm horrible. I will fail every day. I will make selfish decisions, decisions that benefit me over others. I'll never be good enough. If I didn't have him, I would have no hope of goodness in this life or the one that I believe is ever after. He kind of looks at me as if he had never heard this before. He goes, that Jesus? I can get behind that Jesus. See, 1 Peter 3, 15, 16 reminds us to be ready to share the reason of our joy, but not in an obnoxious way and in your face, I'm better than you kind of way. Listen, it says this, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Jesus is the reason for my joy, not because I'm good enough, but because he looked upon me with love and not disgust. I get to share that story as he continues to call me forward to a fuller life. So we respond to this last challenge by bringing the word to action. Let me take a unique spin on that John verse that I mentioned earlier. If we call ourselves Jesus followers, right, Christians, in fact, it means little Christ, as we've shared before. If we call ourselves that, and Jesus himself was the word that became flesh, are we not also, to the best of our ability, be scripture in action? Right? Are we not also, here along, are we not also to be little words becoming flesh everywhere we go? You see, when our motives have others' interests in mind and not my own, or in a way that brings someone closer to Christ, or when we're equipped with wisdom from above and not our own selfish desires, and when our integrity is found in the pursuit of Christ and not in the pursuit of perfection, when we speak up, we speak mercy over judgment. We've always said this around here. If you're new around hope, <clears throat> we really do say this. Hopefully this might be the first time you hear it. <clears throat> We've always said we don't shoot our wounded around here. Right? And sure, we can remind people how broken the world is around here. But listen, this, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that this world is truly broken. You don't have to look far. I want to imagine they would know that. So we could tell them how broken they are and where it's going to lead them. But I wonder if that's not more feeling like we're kicking them while they're down. Because when I'm down and out, I need some good, good water for my friends, a good word. When I'm down and out, I need a good bread, bread that's from a wisdom above, not the wisdom in this world, not another kick in the side. Then, maybe just then, I'll experience mercy in one's words to see Jesus. Let me finish with this. It's James 5, 19 through 20. It says, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. You see, people spoke up in our friend Reggie's life and that changed his life forever. We've all been given a light to speak up in mercy wherever we go. So whose life will see God's mercy and truth in your words this week?
speak up, you could truly change their life forever. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you um, in our insecurities and in our fears and even in our doubts. But God, may your word remind us that you're not surprised by this. And so may we find hope in you and may we share that message wherever we go. May you give us the words to speak into the friends and the lives that we encounter. May we let our light shine bright wherever we go and not have a dimmer on it. Be with us this week as we scatter into the communities to share that kind of love and mercy. We love you and we praise you. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Oppenheisen, musical worship director at Hope. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship experience, visit the Hope Church Memphis YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Again, thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast.